This podcast is for adults 21 years of age or older. We talk about cannabis history and advertise cannabis products. If you're not 21, come back when you are. What's up, guys? What you're about to hear is part one of our two-part 420 special. The first one's dropping right now. The next one will drop on 420 2020. And of course, everybody, or hopefully everybody, is going to be listening from self-isolation at home. Yeah, this episode is very different than anything we've done before. Kind of personal episode. Uh, this 420 is obviously going to be very different than any 420 since the first 420 420 back in the 1970s. If you want to hear that story, you can listen to our season one episode about the Waldos. Uh, but I'm really excited to share this two-part 420 special with everybody. And I also just want to say thank you to everybody who's been hitting us up on social media, telling us that they enjoy season three, that it's bringing them some laughs, bringing them some relief. Uh, we want to bring that same vibe to your 420. It's going to be a fun show, and uh, we're excited to share it with you. Yeah, you know, 420 is a holiday usually spent in the company of friends. People pass around joints and pipes and bongs, but of course, nobody's going to be doing that this year. But in lieu of an actual live event, we're going to be taking part in the High Stream 420 Festival that's going to be going on online that anyone anywhere in the world with an internet connection can take part in. To get more details on that, go to highstreamtv.com and come spend your 420 with us. So enjoy part one, and we'll see you back here for part two on 420. Spoke Media. Hey, how's it going, folks? It's Abdullah. And Bean. And welcome to a very special 420 episode of Great Moments in Weed History. Now, usually we focus on a single great moment in weed history or a single story, but this time we're going to do something a little bit different. My partner Bean and I are going to be sharing great moments from our personal weed histories. That's all the stories from our lives that are the most awesome that we wanted to bring to the table today. Isn't that right, Bean? Oh, that is exactly what we're going to do. And what a wonderful way to celebrate 420. It's like something you could do at home today with your friends. You want a copy of the home version of our show. Just <laughs> get your friends game. together, roll up 420 joints like, like Abdullah and I have. Yeah. You know, that's standard for any, any sesh. And, uh... Just tell each other your great personal moments in weed history. That's because great moments in weed history happen every day and they happen to all of us. So we decided what better way to sesh down on 420. Now we should mention in our first season, we did an episode about the actual history of 420 started by the Waldos. Obviously kind of a perfect episode for 420 as well. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, everybody has that personal weed story that they love to share because like, oh man, that time was so awesome. Well, that's exactly what we're going to be doing today because Bean and I have been really blessed in life. We've gotten to smoke a lot of weed, meet a lot of awesome weed people. You're going to hear about some uh, joint great moments in weed history that Bean and I have together so yeah, it's going to be something special. I got our first joint rolled up right here and it's ready to go. We've got some beverages here as usual. All right. So we've got one, two, seven, 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 420 joints. That's right. Check. 
Uh, we're ready to fire up joint number one. If you're not quite there, it's 420. What are you doing? Get ready. Yeah, this is what 419 was for. <laughs> yeah. I was preparing for today. You should have taken the day off. <laughs> but anyway, you can hit pause. You can roll up a joint. You can pack a bowl. You can dab your dabulators. And we will be right here when you're ready for another great moment in weed history. Smoke media. <sighs> you know, in preparing for this episode, I went over so many stories from my life. You know, I wrote a column for Vice called Weed It. This was sort of my entry into weed media. And it was all foibly stories from my life involving weed. And looking at some of those, I was like, you know, a lot of these are really funny, but they're not really great moments in my personal weed history. So I compiled a handful of things that involve, you know, my experience as a professional cannabis person and also all the things that led up to that, you know? And uh, yeah, I I think some of them are pretty hilarious. I I bet you're going to get a kick out of them. I'm very ready for that. And actually, I have to say the the first time I ever became aware of you was one of your Weedekit stories, but it was not a great moment in weed history because that story was called... I just want my big bag of weed back. Ah, that's right. So actually, that article, I can trace my entire weed career back to that article, which was edited and published by my friend Wilbert Cooper, who was also my co-host later on a show called Vice Does America, which was the first TV series that I hosted. And that's one of the stories that I wanted to share with you today. I'll share the story of I Just Want My Big Bag of Weed Back, my very first weed article. Now, usually I I just preface, hey, get all rolled up. You might want to get some tissues for this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Because there is certainly a tragedy. It's in the title. You know what I mean? But like many stories that we've had on this show, it has a happy ending it led me, among other things, to work on this show with you, being, you know, so, so that's a good ending. So keep in mind, as I'm telling you this story, that it is still my job to smoke weed <laughs> to this day. <laughs> so don't feel bad for me when you hear the rough spots in this one. Our story begins in 2012, all right? So at this point, I was 28, right? And I was living uptown at 94th and Columbus. I was renting a basement apartment from my friend Sam's family up there, right? This is my first apartment in New York. And it was over. They were selling the house or something. So I I had to move out. And I found a new apartment in Williamsburg, right? At North 5th and Kent. Now, this is like a warehouse building. And I ended up living there for uh, some years after that. And at the time, I was really stoked because it was about five blocks from the vice office, right? From where I was working. And I was like, oh, my God, instead of having to commute all the way from 94th Street way down to Williamsburg, I'm going to be able to just get out of my place and walk five blocks and be at the office and likewise to come home. That's like the perfect joint walk. Oh, yeah. Five blocks. Mm -hmm. 
Five blocks. For a New York joint. For a New York City joint, is, it will last you a few blocks. An L.A. Yeah. joint could 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 last oh, you all yeah. day. An L.A. joint <laughs> could last like a 45-minute walk. As I'm packing up my place uptown, right, I'm ready to go. I thought to myself, you know what? I'm moving to a new neighborhood. I don't have a weed person there yet, right? I, I don't want to spend a whole bunch of money on the delivery services. That weed tends to be really expensive. So I was like, I'm going to buy in bulk, right? So that... I, I have something to hold me over while I find a new weed person in my new neighborhood, right? So I bought a half ounce of weed, right, from a guy who lives uptown. It cost me about $150, right? Which to me, I was working for Vice at the time. I was really badly paid. So $150 is a lot of money. And, you know, it was access to weed that was like almost more valuable than the money, you know? So it was good to have some weed to hold me over. So I bought this half ounce of weed, right? And I had it sitting in my apartment, I think in my desk drawer, right, as I'm packing up. Now, at this time, a couple of people passed through the situation, right? Now, the for my friend Sam, whose family I was renting the place from, they had a younger son, right, Sam's younger brother, who had this friend there who always seemed like kind of a shithead to me. And he was sort of like in and out of the house that day. There was a lot of movement, you know, like we were moving out, my roommate was moving out, like stuff was going on. And I feel like he came into the space at some point and was like, oh, packing up, huh? You know, and kind of disappeared, right? And then later, my friend Bossim, right? Who's a really good friend of mine, also worked at Vice at the time. Uh, he's the front man of the Kaminas, which is a punk band I was in for, uh, for several years. He came by as well, right? And sort of like, you know, just to say what's up or whatever, we're hanging out. And after that, you know, he split as well. Now, after all was said and done, right, I had everything except my half ounce of weed. Ooh, this is like one of those closed door mystery uh, Hercule Poirot, perhaps, yeah. could 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 jump in on this. Mm -hmm. This is like an Agatha Christie situation, right? Now, there's a couple of suspects, right? And I don't want to believe that anyone stole this bag of weed right? But I'm down here in my room. All my stuff is packed up. I know where everything is at this point. And the half ounce of weed is gone, right? Now, in that moment, I was absolutely freaked out. I suspected the kid. I kind of suspected Bossom. You know what I mean? Like, this is like my friend. But in this situation, you're like, shit, there's not many people it could be, right? It even crossed my friend that my dear friend Sam whose house I was living in might be the guy who took the weed, but I, I couldn't believe it. He was like, well, he's one of my oldest friends, you know? And I really hated the mindset that this put me in. I was completely paranoid. I was like, where did this thing go? It couldn't have just walked up and gotten up and walked off by itself, right? Somebody took this bag of weed. So I end up moving, right? I move into my new place. My first night there, I'm without weed, right? And I'm sitting there in this new apartment and I'm just so sad and so mad at the world. And I'm like, you know what? Why did this have to happen? Like, why would someone do that? When someone is stealing weed from someone else, right? Out of their home, they know how much it's going to fuck that person up. And I say to you that I don't care who that person is. All the weed in the world can't cure them of the greed and pettiness that led them to steal that bag of weed. It is such a wrong thing to do. And I felt wronged, right? So rather than sit there and stew in my emotions, I wrote a lament, right? And it's called, I just want my big bag of weed back. And in it, I, I talk about my suspicions. I talk about my sadness. I talk about 
all the things that I felt, right? It was a lot of raw emotion that went into it. And so I had this thing written. Now, at this time, I was a music journalist at Vice, right? I covered electronic music and rap music for Noisy and the Creators Project. And Vice didn't have a whole ton of stuff about weed. They had a handful of things about weed. But I looked at this thing and I was like, you know what? This seems like the kind of thing that should be on the Vice website. You know, at least at the time, there was a lot of cool kind of subjective, like, opinion stuff that, that you saw on there. And I was like, you know what? Maybe this is one of those things. So I attached it to an email while I was at work at the office, and I sent it to Will Cooper, who was an editor uh, on Vice.com at the time. And I'm going to try, I'm going to do my best Wilbert impression here. For anyone who knows, I might hope this hits home. But he was like, hey, man, like, this thing is really funny. Like, it's pretty crazy to me, like, that you had all these feelings and it's all about a bag of weed. Like, that's really something. It's really kind of funny. I, I think I'm going to publish this. Is, is that cool with you? <laughs> that's good impersonation. <laughs> I am Wilbur. And, and I definitely know why you have so many emotions about a bag of weed. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was, you know, evident and really hit home for me and sort of smash cut to across town, New York City, same year, same place. I just lost a job uh, with High Times where I had worked for a really long time that had been a huge part of my uh, weed journey, had been a part of my life journey. It's where I met my wife. It's where I saw a growing cannabis plant for the first time. Wow. And the world of weed journalism almost fit entirely within that office that I had been working in. And I'm yeah. sort of, I'm in a pretty bummed place, you know, happy endings for me too. Uh, but I, 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 people email you everything about weed when you work at high time. Right. And somebody said, yo, check this out. And I'm always just like, let's just say there's a lot of bad weed writing in the world. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've read some of it. Yeah, <laughs> I've read around it. If you're not Hunter S. Thompson, don't try. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't think there's going to be too much new stuff from him. But uh, so I always go into these things, you know, especially back then with a little bit of a, um, mm -hmm, you sure. know, and I see this article and it just. Hit my heartstrings, man. It was <laughs> raw and emotional and real and well written. And I just said, well, here's an interesting, here's an interesting person who is really genuine in the love of weed, who really understands self-expression. And I hit you up. And what was really cool to me and like really, really stayed with me was, you know, we just got to be talking. We got to be friends. I don't even, in a classic stoner fashion, I don't even really remember the like, then this happened. Then yeah, happened. it's vague. <laughs> There'll be a lot <laughs> yeah. of that. <laughs> that. That'll be a running theme of this Great Moments in Weed History episode. But there there came a point where you were like, hey, man, you should talk to this guy, Will, and pitch him some articles. Yeah. And it's like, for people listening, that probably sounds like a very normal thing to do, but it ain't. It's like... To if you were fishing off a nice pier <laughs> that was full of weed fish and being the vice weed guy, uh, especially like at that moment, vice had all the heat in the world. Yeah. And the believe me, the most normal thing for a person in that position to do would be like, cool, man, thanks. Um, right, but right. you put the hand out and just you said something in that email that was like, 
you've been doing this shit a long time. I like your shit too. You should talk to Will. And then that became the first uh, Vice article I ever wrote was a piece called Get Rich or High Trying. Yes. The coming age of corporate cannabis. Yes. I'll say I was a little ahead of that curve. You were. And <laughs> I have cited that article in subsequent articles that I wrote for Vice about the coming corporate future of cannabis. Uh, but in that moment, you know, there's not a lot of places to write about weed now. There was not a lot of places to write about weed. It's true. And that gave me, it gave me a place to do what I do. And that led to a lot of things and it led to us doing Bog Appetit yeah. together. And actually that, and I'm, I'm really touched that you remember that, you know, and I really carry that sentiment still that if I like somebody and I like their work, I mean, I think that, you know, I, I, I want to help them put it everywhere. You know what I mean? That I would be able to help them put it. And that was very much the situation at the time. And to me, that's just never been the way to go. Like, you know, I, I think that generosity begets generosity. And speaking of which, I'm waiting on piles of generosity from the <laughs> world out here. <laughs> but I got to say that it was the beginning of a very communal relationship that you and I have when it comes to doing work around cannabis. And I'm glad that I brought you to Vice because actually a little while later, when I had left Vice, you then brought me back into the fold. And that was when we did Bong Appetit, the web series. And I think that that's also a really special story. So just to conclude the previous one, what happened after that was... Oh, yeah, my God, the big bag of weed. <laughs> yeah, 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 the big bag of weed. So the big bag of weed was never found. But after that, the weekend editor of Vice.com, who was brand new at the time, is a guy named Krishna Andavalu, right? Who <laughs> a lot of people will recognize as uh, later the host of Weedicket on Viceland. He was like, yo, I like this big bag of weed article. I think it's really funny. Could you do something like that? on a weekly basis. Uh, and I said, okay, can I do it for Sundays? And I'm going to call it Weedicket. And that's how Weedicket was born. And then later when I left the company, Krishna ended up doing the Weedicket show. They switched out a brown guy for a brown guy, which is questionable, but you know what? I'll never be mad at a brown man coming up on weed. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so shout out our friend Krishna. But yeah, and with that being, I'm going to pitch it to you to start off the story of how we ended up doing Bong Appetit together. Smoke weedia. Yeah, well, it, it it's like you said, what goes around comes around. And it's like, apply that to every part of your life. Yeah, You know what I mean? It's like, it all will come back to you. And they say, like, uh, that big bag of weed has that you lost has been regained oh. sevenfold times sevenfold. Oh, my and, God, yes. And the, and the generosity of this community yes. in sharing its weed with us is both prolific and very appreciated. Yes, and, and I, I say to the thief of that original bag, just take it, bro. Or sis, whoever you were. Take it. Just take it, and I hope that smoking that weed change something in you somehow. I hope that half ounce grew you some empathy because I was blessed. 
I think that sense of forgiveness is 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 a lot of what 420 is about. Man. Yes. And so, but it came around, just like you said. I was writing a lot for, for Vice. I was tending to do more of the political stuff. And what I always thought was interesting about our dynamic, even before we were really friends' friends, was you wrote these very personal pieces that always revealed the political. And I tended to try to write very political pieces through the framework of people's mm. personal experiences. And then I got offer from Vice, I Love Food, and they asked me, <laughs> do you want to write food and weed column? And I called it the Weed Eater. And so once a month, I, I do pieces like the Grateful Dead changed the way we eat or the story of the oldest edible, Majoon, or all oh, yeah. these different stories. And at some point they said, hey, would you want to make like a show? And I was like, fuck yeah. Mm -hmm. And they were like, would you like to host it? And mm -hmm. I was like, sure. You know, it was like never my thing. Yeah. And I get that it is like, you know, and it was awesome to do, but it wasn't like that was my thing. But they said, well, what would make a good food and weed show? And I said, well... I, I could get us into Hunter Thompson's house yeah. and there's a chef and weed had just been legalized in Colorado at this point. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what if we threw a weed dinner at Hunter Thompson's house? So we got this incredible chef from Aspen, Chris Latner, who loves weed. We went to the weed store for like right when they were a new. This is David Bienenstock and our journey in search of the finest cannabis in the world and the most high-end cuisine imaginable has brought us to Owl Farm, the legendary fortified compound of the late Hunter S. Thompson. Through this great dinner, we had Keith Stroop. Wow. Uh, from Normal, who was, if you've heard our Hunter Thompson episode, yeah. they were very close friends. Hunter Thompson was one of the earliest Normal supporters. And just for me, forget about the cameras. This was a great moment in my personal weed history. Yeah, seriously. Hanging out at Owl Farm. And, you know, I'm very, very proud of how that video came out. And it it's a great video. And it's still up. Uh, you can find it. Just go on YouTube and search for weed dinner, Hunter S. Thompson's house. You'll find it. The incredible chef, Chris Lanter, from a restaurant called Cash Cash in Aspen. So just like some yeah. big time adolescent yeah. bean dream come true bean dream stuff come true. happening. After that, we headed up to Owl Farm. I think anybody who is a fan of Hunter Thompson considers that hallowed ground, and it's a place I've always dreamed of just seeing. So to be going there, not just to make and share this amazing meal, but to celebrate marijuana legalization is literally a dream come true for me. And I'm so excited to share this experience with people who are a part of this movement towards freedom and liberty that's happening in Colorado right now. Welcome to Owl Farm, I'm glad you're here. And so it, it did pretty well. And they said, well, what if we make a whole series out of this? And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. And then they were like, who do you think would be a good host? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you should get that dude Abdullah who <laughs> works for you. He's great. And they were like, well, we picked somebody else. And I was like, all right. And now we're in Denver. I, and, and I'm producing the show, co-producing the show. Uh, shout out Tracy. Shout out Tracy. Shout out everybody that worked on that yeah. show. We had a great crew yeah. of people, we different really people did. on different apps, but all one of my one of my best experiences in in my life. But we have this other new host that shall remain nameless. I've put together, you know, a lot of work goes into 
putting together one of these episodes with yeah. all the contingencies. So, so, so if you've ever seen one of the shows, you know, it looks like I just kind of walk into a situation and there's, you know, someone's made a weed turkey and there's a hookah. <laughs> and, you know, like all that stuff is set up very deliberately by Bean. He draws on his contacts and his knowledge in the world of weed to set this type of shit up in all these different places and would always, like on this show, uh, go to pains to keep me from knowing what was about to happen <laughs> so that we could get me fresh, you know, every time. And it was a really, really good time. But yeah, like, you know, when you see the show, it feels like a fluid kind of party vibe, but a lot goes into it. So being a definitely prepped for this episode a lot. So, you know, now we're on host number two. I've put all this work into this episode and we're starting to film and it's no shade. It's not a skill that everybody has, but it was just not working. And there's <laughs> just no worse feeling because, you know, the host makes a show, shall we say. And I and, and we kind of were going from one location to the other location in this doomed episode, which never aired. And the edict comes down like, we got to scrap this. We got to cut bait. And what are we going to do? And I pulled out the phone and I hit up my man and you were in Denver. Yeah, so at this time, I was not working at Vice. I think I had done some freelance stuff. I hosted some things here and there, but I was not in the mix as much as I, I was uh, to be later. And I was kind of exploring a business venture in cannabis in Denver, which was not really working out. And I was there to kind of see to that. And I get a call from you and it's like, uh, man, like somebody needs to smoke and eat a bunch of weed and talk to a <laughs> camera. Like they don't have the person for it. And I was like, I'll be right there. Like, and boom, within minutes I was there. I actually remember showing up as this previous host was leaving the set. Which was a little bit awkward, but we didn't actually have contact. I smiled at her and, uh, and, and then, yeah. And then we went and filmed in, I think the first place we filmed was in Vail, right? Yeah. We went up to one of the amazing ski towns in Colorado and we did a whole episode about a cookbook author, a weed cookbook author named Jessica Catalano. And it just clicked and Oof, from yeah. the first moment we started rolling i remember uh cuz man i'm an anxious dude i'm a <laughs> frazzled dude and then you compile that with production being just a frazzly environment you know it sure you is. put billy d williams in the role of producing something and he's not going to be a cool cat he's going to yeah. be frazzled so i'm at like peak frazzle in this moment, we already just lost an episode. We went to the bullpen for the hard-throwing right-handed weed reliever, and <laughs> boom. So, should we like smoke a J or something? Or actually, can I lick the spoon? I'm about to experience three of my absolute favorite things all at once. Weed, hip-hop, and pizza. I, I remember that moment very well. Like, you know, it was snowing outside. We went in, and Tracy... Uh, who we worked with on many episodes after that. She's a good friend, for definitely friend of the podcast. She was pretty stressed out, right? Obviously, like you're saying, it was like, you know, already lost an episode. And I just remember that as soon as we started the first scene, right? That first moment, 
It's one of my proudest moments professionally. And thanks for bringing me into that moment, you know, because it really was fantastic where I just started doing it. I started talking to her, right? I, I don't really get nervous when there's a camera on me, right? I think that's just the entire fucking job. You know what yeah. I mean? And and then just being curious about weed and about food and getting high. And, you know, we started talking. And as soon as our conversation started, Tracy, her shoulders just went down. <laughs> like she was like, oh. And she turned around and walked off set in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, everything's under control. And she looked at you like, okay, you got this. And she walked out and smoked a cigarette. I could see her out of the corner of my <laughs> eye. And she was like, oh, okay, thank God. Right. And it was really, I felt so good. Like in the moment, it was like, all right, like we're doing something here. Boom. Like this is it. And we, we, we called in the wolf. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from there <laughs> we went on, we, you know, we made like a dozen or so yeah, more episodes. 16, yeah. We did the Nona marijuana Christmas yeah. special with our friends from Wham. Yeah. Just that a magical a, experience. Yeah. And the Wham episode was a really, really special one, which, you know, you can see in the video, which is still up if, if you search for uh, Nana marijuana munchies christmas you'll find it you know she's a she's an internet legend you know and she's got quite a few videos but you'll definitely see that one and that was also like i learned to trim on that episode you know what i mean like that was really special it's good to know a trade yeah i mean i know hollywood is the you know the dream <laughs> factory but it's always that's that's how i was brought up <laughs> it's like chase your dreams but it's good to have a yeah. it's good to have a trade and i'm also just speaking of denver i'm i'm thinking of one of our great personal 420 memories that we shared on yeah. actual 420 in denver we were at the cannabis cup it was the hugest still to this date the largest cannabis cup ever and we were still like i, I you know as i said putting things in the right order and all the details is not <laughs> what this episode is about yeah. but it was like a point where we were friends but we hadn't really like like had time even to just like connect and yeah. chill and we were both going to be at this big giant 420 so picture a huge like outdoor event venue yeah. maybe 30 to 35,000 yeah. people. So let's let's set the scene here. Allow me to set the scene here real quick. Okay. It's 2013, okay? Cannabis has just been legalized for adult use in Colorado and Washington and it is a surprise. It's not like people really expected this to happen. There had been a ballot initiative in California, right? It, you know, there was medical marijuana, of course, in, in some places like that was becoming a thing. But nobody really saw this coming unless you were really watching the news and watching the efforts of organizations like Normal or any other number of places were pushing this effort. It was kind of like, holy shit, this happened, right? So for many, many people, this was just a very, very exciting time. It was crazy because we were criminals. We were criminals for a long time. Whether you're carrying it, growing it, selling it, smoking it, whatever you're doing, we were criminals. And there was always the danger of the police taking you away in handcuffs just for smoking weed. And I know 
you know, to some people, they're like, obviously. And to other people who are younger, they're like, oh my God, like, I don't know of a time like this that you're talking about. But it was very real. So that year, High Times decided to have a cannabis cup in Denver. And at this point, weed is legalized, but there's no specific rules governing it's legalization. It's not regulated. Free for all is a rule. <laughs> Free for all was the only rule. And at this time, like people are making cannabis concentrates. They're making BHO and everyone's dabbing, right? And suddenly Denver is flooded with 25,000 people from everywhere who are just like, oh, heard weed got legalized and there's a big <laughs> weed party. I'm just gonna go, right? We made history, we did it, we did it. It means I'm gonna smoke a lot of weed tonight! Woo! <laughs> and so, like, you see, you you know, you're in this place. It's like an outdoor, you know, almost like flea market-looking environment. And you there's these booths, right? And people are coming up and just taking dabs. And, of course, there's people coming up like, Oh, hi, I'm from Nebraska. I smoked <laughs> weed six times when I was in high school. Uh, hey, uh, what's this? And they're like... It's a dab, like, want to take one? And they're like, oh, what is it? They're like, it's just weed, weed you know? Weed, just weed. It's just weed. And to be fair, it is just weed, <laughs> but it's super hot weed vapors <laughs> in, straight into your face. It gets you very, very high, right? And there's people falling, falling out, just dropping, taking dabs and just dropping onto the floor. Of course, Nobody died. These are weed overdoses happening yeah. by the dozens. And of course, nobody died. Nobody got hurt. Everybody was fine. Yeah. So we're, you know, I know you're there doing that. I actually wasn't even working at High Times at the time, but I'm there hanging out. I had tons of friends from the magazine. And so I finally, I'm like, all right, I'll just, I'll just uh, send you a text. <laughs> I finally, I got a good window to meet up with you. So I said, all right, Abdullah, come meet me if you can. I'm underneath the giant inflatable butane can. <laughs> <laughs> so this has been a running joke in our friendship for years. The giant inflatable butane can, because it's not just a giant inflatable butane can, right? It's a symbol for where the scene was at at this time, <laughs> right? Because it's a butane can, right? Which obviously represents butane hash oil and dabs and whatever else. But it's also giant and inflatable, right? And it was just kind of standing out there and like sticking up. It was just the only visible thing for like 100 yards was this gigantic thing in this sea of human beings. And I feel like it was like, holy shit, like this bubble's happening. You know what I mean? Like cannabis is about to be a thing. And as two guys that we are, one guy who just spent an entire career's worth of time at a weed magazine, now on the cusp of a completely new world in your profession, and me, a guy who just started a weed column and it happened to be right before weed got fucking legalized, right? And being like, oh my God, here's this huge new frontier. You know what I mean? Us meeting up at that butane can was like, oh, holy shit, this is going to be a weird world. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, what's it even going to look like? We were at the beginning of something and, you know, it felt like it. 
So that was uh, definitely like the wildest 420 we shared together. And then I know we're going to we're going to do this on a different episode, but we were also both in Denver. I mean, for a minute, Denver was the capital of, of Weedland. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it really it, was. Also, nobody saw it coming that L.A. would really become kind of the center of, of weed in, in a way. Like at the time, it seemed like Denver was going to be the spot. Other places just started to catch up really quickly. It's still a very weedy city, but it was weed mecca at the time. Yeah, and we were both there in our reporting hats, Mm -hmm. which mine is literally one of those Kermit the Frog ones that says press. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The day uh, the first legal sales happened in Colorado. And like I said, we're going to talk about that in another episode and give it its due, but certainly have to include it among our shared personal great moments. Yes, it was a very special day. I actually flew over New Year's Eve. So this year I flew on the red eye to Denver, right? And got there very early in the morning. And I went and met up with you at 3D Discreet, which is a dispensary in Denver, kind of outside of the center of Denver. It seems like a very random street that it's on and there was like a press junket there was mad people everywhere of course the first person to buy legal cannabis post-prohibition in the united states was a guy named sean azaridi who is a war veteran and a medical cannabis patient and it was like a big thing like okay this is the guy you know who's gonna buy it. It, 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 it was a fantastic symbol and then Bean, I believe you were in the first dozen. Is that correct? I was in the single digits. No way. I think I was seven. Holy shit. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, I, I rolled up with, uh, with my wife. We were there really early. I was interviewing people in line. Mm-hmm. A light snow was falling. Yeah. And I remember uh, a couple of things I remember really distinctly from that day is some sort of, there was tons of straight reporters, yeah. you know, just regular reporters. This was a huge story. There were the trucks beaming it out all over the globe. And so I was like, okay, a couple things. There's going to be a lot more people reporting about this and most Mm. of them aren't going to know shit about it. And so I think there'll still be a place for me and a place for uh, my homie here. And that has definitely been the case. Yeah, no, seriously. And, And that, it was a weird moment where you saw the general press there and then, you know, we're the cannabis press in a way. And it is a weird relationship that I think has evolved in some ways. You know, I, I think it's gotten weird in some ways. So that, like, that day, I actually, as I was standing in 3D discreet and kind of, like, having a moment, like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening, I suddenly got hit with something that would hit me many times again after that in Denver, and that's altitude sickness. <laughs> <laughs> and I ran outside uh, because it really does happen. If you're in Denver, you got to hydrate. I ran outside and I didn't throw up, but I felt like I was going to. And I was like, oh, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I went back inside and I got in line. And when I got to the front of the line, I asked the guy, what number was I? You know, and he said, you're the 51st person. And yeah, so I was the 51st person to buy legal cannabis. But God bless you, Denver. I was the first person of color to buy cannabis legally 
in the United States post-prohibition. And I'm very proud of that. That is a great moment in weed history and one that warms my heart. I think, you know, we're going to have to take a break in a second. Happy 420! Happy 420! Best day of the year. Best day of the year. And it's the 42020. Yeah, seriously. An entire month of 420. Savor it. And then I think when we come back... I want to hear a story I never heard a great moment in weed history from you. Yeah, you know what? Me too. Let's hear some new stuff. Thank you so much for listening to part one of our two-part 420 special. Please be sure to tune back in on 420 to hear part two. And additionally, we'll be taking part in the High Stream 420 Festival, which is going to be happening online. So you can tune in from wherever you are in the world. Find out more details at HighStreamTV.com. We'll see you there. Great Moments in Weed History is a Spoke Media production. It's hosted by me, David Bienenstock, a.k.a. Bean, and Abdullah Saeed. We're produced by Cody Hoffmachel with help from Reyes Mendoza, Trey Jones, and Carson McCain. This episode was mixed by Will Short. Our executive producers are Aliyah Tavakolian and Keith Reynolds. We're recorded at Gold Digger Studio by Gabe Wilhelm. Shout out to our patrons on Patreon. Thanks so much. If you want to follow us on social media, we're at GMIWH Podcast on all platforms. Check out our show notes for links to our sponsors. You can support us by supporting them. Thanks for listening. Well, that's the show, folks. Thanks so much for listening. And if you stuck around this long, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can put five on it at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. And that would really help us as we research, write, edit, and publish a new episode every Weedness Day. Great Moments in Weed History is written, produced, and performed by me, David Beanstock, a.k.a. Bean. Special thanks to our sponsor, PAX. Go to PAX.com and use promo code GREATMOMENTS, all one word, for a big discount at checkout.